This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the City Council. City Council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and UVerse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to our January 10th, 2022 meeting for City Council. This is our first meeting in 2022. We're glad you're all here. And I now ask that you join us, Tom, for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
Erica, would you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Donker. Here. Councilman Wazbinski. Here. Councilman Arnoski. Here. Councilman Brown-Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Hall. Here. All right, thank you very much. Does anyone on council have a conflict of interest with anything that's on the agenda this evening? No, Madam Mayor. Okay, seeing none, then we'll move on to the consent agenda. Um, this is a opportunity, uh, on the consent agenda, all resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by, by one motion. There will be no separate consideration of these items unless a council member or citizen so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda is indicated. If there's even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. Can we have a motion to approve the consent agenda? So moved. Second. First and second. Would anyone from council like an item removed from the consent agenda? Okay, seeing none, would anyone from the public like an item removed from the consent agenda? All right, seeing none, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. We had a pretty full agenda tonight. So our first things on our agenda is item number three, which is a public hearing. So this evening we have three public hearings. So let me just talk about that briefly for you. The public hearing, our staff person will give us a presentation. Once they're done with the presentation, council will have an opportunity to ask questions of them. Once the questions are done, we'll open up the public hearing. At that point in time, individuals from the public can come up and make a comment either for or against whatever it is we're speaking about. It isn't a back and forth conversation, so we'll take into consideration the questions that are asked of us. Once that is done, we'll close the public hearing and then um, it'll be council's opportunity to talk about it. So with that, item number three, zoning petition number 636. Mr. Marshall's here to tell us about it. Mayor and good evening, members of council. Um, zoning petition 636 is actually the application by Cal Eider for properties located at 409, 415 East Buttles, as well as 411 and 415 Cronkrite Street. Uh, the area in question is just um, <clears throat> Uh, about two-thirds of an acre, 0.66 acres, and currently it's OS office service and within the downtown Northside Overlay Zoning District. The proposal is to actually change the underlying zoning district from OS office service um, to D downtown zoning um, and keep the DNO uh, downtown Northside Overlay District um, over top of that. Taking a look at the subject site, it's half the block um, here in downtown Midland of the block bound by Buttles, Cronkite, Indian, and Townsend Streets. Um, you may uh, know the current ITER insurance in this parking lot that's on the southwest side um, of the building itself that faces onto Buttle Street. Uh, this is the half of the block that does have the larger frontage onto Cronkite with both Buttles and Indian Street frontages as well, including a small portion of the uh, paved parking lot as well as sort of the informal parking lot that they have here at Indian and Cronkite Street, and then two um, parcels that are vacant um, and grassed uh, currently. When we look at the subject, uh, or when we look at the zoning uh, for the subject property, you do have OS office service, which is the blue shade um, shown on the map. Uh, the rest of the block is actually this, the downtown zoning district that's being requested this evening. Everything in the hashed area, which makes this map a bit busy, um, does include the downtown Northside overlay district, and that, that goes all the way to the northeast uh, half flight, halfway, um, halfway in the block between Indian and Grove Streets. Um, other zoning districts that, uh, on the underlying side of things include RB, multiple family residential, which is the shade of brown, um, OS office service, which is blue, and then this um, kind of red hue of D downtown, 
um, are the surrounding zoning districts. When we look at the future land use map that's in the city's current master plan, we see that this subject site, as well as lands um, surrounding it completely to the north, south, east, and west, they're all planned for the expanded downtown um, area. Uh, the vision of the downtown within the current master plan is to expand uh, the types of uses that we have and the types of built form that we have within the downtown uh, to be on blocks, including Indian and Buttles, and then halfway that block between Indian and Grove Street. And so you can see that this site itself is well within that expanded downtown area. <clears throat> Looking at the district intent of the D downtown district, it is really to be a compact, live, a lively pedestrian oriented district, um, offering a wide variety of uses, a uh, mixture of uses, including commercial, office, entertainment, recreational, um, as well as residential. The sample uses um, that are permitted in this zoning district include things like restaurants, retail sales, um, health clubs and spas, townhouses and apartments and places of worship. <clears throat> we do have 10 review criteria um, for zoning petitions. And if you recall in the last couple times I've been up here to talk about zoning, I've gone through each of these um, and they've kind of been more, a bit repetitive. So I do want to provide a bit of a summary this evening of those 10 review criteria because of course all 10 were within the staff packet and given uh, considerable consideration by the planning commission. So of notable evaluation criteria, um, as you go through those 10, that I wanted to point out include that the proposal is consistent with the future land use map of the city's master plan. It's consistent with the development pattern that's happening within the surrounding area. It's consistent with the existing and the anticipated zoning of the surrounding areas. And it's also not a proposal, um, it will not result in unlawful exclusionary zoning. <clears throat> we have received two public comments on this request, both indicating no objection to the request. We did not receive any public comments at the Planning Commission public hearing. Uh, the Planning Commission gave consideration to all 10 of the review criteria and then voted in unanimous support to recommend approval of the petition. <clears throat> that public hearing was held back on November 23rd. Um, that moved forward, allowing for uh, the opportunity to give public notice of this evening's public hearing. And so final consideration is for City Council tonight after the public hearing. And with that, Madam Mayor, I'll entertain any questions. Okay, does anyone have any questions for Mr. Marshall regarding this particular I guess my, my question would be is why isn't really office service the right zoning for this uh, property? I mean, it's consistent with a lot of the other building that's going on in there in this particular uh, corridor. It's a different type of environment and, uh, that you have than, for example, on Main Street, which you know, is, is uh, more of a traditional downtown pedestrian-oriented uh, area. Mm -hmm. Uh, so office service simply doesn't allow the type of mixtures of uses that the downtown district would. Um, and so in conversations with the property owner, um, they are interested in wanting to eventually develop this property and they'd like some flexibility that's allowed within the downtown district that's not allowed within office service. A good example of that would be a small cafe um, or a restaurant type of use. Um, if they wanted to do residential, solely residential, they wouldn't be allowed to do that in office service, but they would in downtown. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about parking regulations and that mm -hmm. becomes challenging in those small blocks um, within our downtown and downtown would actually um, exempt them from parking regulations whereas office service would require them to comply with a minimum parking standard. I think that kind of highlights some of my concerns actually is uh, you know those differences between downtown and, and office service so appreciate the explanation. Any other questions for Mr. Marshall? Okay. Thank you very much. So this is the public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone who has comments either in favor of? 
or against the petition? All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. Erica, would you please read the resolution? Four hundred nine and four fifteen East Buttle Street, four eleven and four fifteen Cronkite Street from OS Office Service to D Downtown Zoning. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second discussion. If it's if it's uh, filling out the rest of the block, makes sense. And it's in alignment with the future master plan and where we're headed. I guess I have reservations about the use of the property. Um, I think office service is, is the right use for that particular corridor. And uh, I don't really know, you know, you look at the, the size of the, of the property and it, it really, especially if you eliminate parking issues, uh, the, the number of required parking spaces, I think it creates uh, potential problems depending on what's placed on that site. So I have some, some real concerns about that. But whatever the development is, it'll go through a site plan review, is that correct? So there will be a discussion about parking and how they will service the parking down in that area. But they're governed by the it, rules of yeah. the downtown right. versus the office service. Right. So, you know, I think your hands become tied in terms of what you can restrict or what you can require once you go to the, DD, uh, the downtown mm -hmm. zoning. It, it would probably be appropriate just so Grant, may, if you can just give an explanation of the differences in the parking standards and as they apply, considering not only the underlying zoning, which we're here to change tonight, but also the DNO, which will continue to apply over top of that. in the city except for the downtown zoning district. Um, the reason for that is to really reinforce availability of parking across the community. We changed that and we shift the paradigm in, in the approach in our downtown because we want to try and encourage people to be able to walk and to bike and when you are building for those types of uses you're going to naturally get that type of development or um, habits that start to form within people that are starting to access it. So the difference between the downtown is that we don't regulate parking. It's up to the developer how much they want to provide um, up to our maximum, which is 120% of the minimum for that use. Um, <clears throat> whereas on the office service, we would say that there's a prescriptive number of parking spaces, which again becomes very challenging when you have a limited area like these downtown blocks. Um, if you do our minimum parking for certain types of uses, you can effectively build all of your development area of just parking, and it becomes a challenge just spatial-wise. So if I'm not understanding that, you're trying to limit just having an empty parking lot and you'd rather have the business and utilize the parking garages and other areas to park. That's exactly right. Um, the assumption is that we have other parking facilities within the area that are easy to walk to or bike to or just accessible in general um, and that they can take up the demand of people that are arriving by car. All right, any other discussion? All right, then let's vote. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Against? Nay. Okay. That passes 4-1. Thank you very much. All right, Mr. Marshall, it's you again, and that takes us now to item number four, um, zoning petition number 637. All right. 
so 637 is actually a petition um, within Midtown, um, the Midtown neighborhood of Midland, um, and it involves five parcels on State Street and then a portion of um, property at 2205 Jefferson Avenue. Um, the parcels are 1514, 1602, 1606, 1610, and 1614 State Street. Uh, the total area is just over 1.5 acres, and currently it's zoned RA4, 1, and 2 family residential, and the proposal is to rezone that to COM community zoning. Taking a look at the subject site, um, the five uh, individual properties extend on the east side of State Street with that small portion of the 2205 Jefferson parcel um, right here where my cursor is at, really kind of halfway between um, the property line and the middle part of the driveway that accesses into the Greater Midland uh, Community Center from uh, the intersection of George and State Street. Um, George Street is the uh, kind of the uh, corridor that continues off of Indian and Buttles and into uh, this portion of the community center currently. And then State Street um, is the residential street that continues down to the southwest uh, where these properties do front on. Um, other notable features in the surrounding area include uh, single family and two family residential uh, uh, homes and duplexes in these blocks on George Mill Street and North Street. And then this is the backside of the new Central Park Elementary School um, right here at the intersection of Collins Street and George Street. <clears throat> when we take a look at the zoning map for this area, you can see that the subject site is all zoned RA4, uh, one and two family residential. That's the same uh, orange shade that you see here in the blocks of George, State, and North Street. Uh, the COM Community Zoning District is the lighter shade of green, which includes the rest of the 2205 parcel, as well as the parcel that has the um, curling center on it and Central Park, um, as well as Central Park Elementary School and Central Auditorium um, off to the west um, and northwest. <clears throat> when we look at the future land use map, you can see uh, the colors change a bit. Um, and that's to in articulate a vision um, in this area of private recreation, which is that light shade of green. Uh, that is the subject um, future land use map or future land use designation on every parcel except for this one that you see here. Uh, the reason for that in, in review is that at the time that this particular area of the city was looked at in the future um, in the city's master plan and future land use map, uh, this parcel was actually under private ownership, um, and now it is currently part of the land holdings owned by the community center. Um, the community center does own all five of these single-family um, parcels, um, and then, of course, the small portion that is on uh, the site of the main community center. Um, they have been in ownership of all of them since 2015, um, but they acquired uh, the three to the south and the two to the north earlier than, um, than 2015. Um, other future land use designations in the area include medium-density residential, which is this darker shade of yellow, high-density residential across Jefferson and orange, and then to the north is the public parks and recreation designation, which includes land of Central Park. The community zoning district is intended for special public, quasi-public, and private uses that are deemed to have community, um, special community significance. We permit uh, certain types of uh, land uses within that uh, zoning district by right. Included in that is community centers, buildings, and facilities, as well as cultural facilities, museums, art galleries, offices for fire, uh, charitable organizations, fire stations, um, parks um, is also part of this list as well. This is just a sampling of the things that we uh, permit by right. <coughs> in review of this, there's also the 10 review criteria um, that was reviewed by Planning Commission and also included in the staff report leading up to this evening. 
of notable evaluation uh, responses to this, uh, staff does point out that the proposal is largely consistent with the future land use map of the city's master plan. The only outlier of that is that parcel that has the medium density residential designation being under different ownership at the time that the future land use map was, um, was updated. In looking at the development pattern of the area, we do feel that this is, proposal is consistent with the development pattern. Um, new development in that area includes the Miracle Field at Central Park. Um, there's been the pickleball courts that were um, built in Central Park, and then of course uh, the institutional um, uses of Central Park Elementary that have been additional development there in the last few years. Looking at the current um, zoning, we believe that this proposal is consistent with the zoning district. Uh, private recreation and COM zoning um, are compatible with multiple family residential. Um, also believe that this proposal will not result in un unlawful exclusionary zoning. It should make mention that the, the five residences um, that are owned currently by the community center, they are slated for demolition um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and the community center staff has been working closely with the occupants of those homes in order to find reasonable accommodation. Um, Fred Eddy, who's representing the community center, is here this evening. So if there are further questions related to those single family uses on those site, um, I'd ask you to direct them to him um, for more information. We have not received any public comments on this proposal to date. And the Planning Commission did review this petition and voted unanimously in a vote of 7-0, uh, supporting a, uh, approval of it. And that public hearing is held back on December 14th. Um, and then tonight is the, uh, the public hearing on this petition. Okay. And with that, Madam Mayor, I'll entertain any questions. Okay, does anyone in council have a question for Mr. Marshall? I do. Okay. Uh, Grant, I, I understand why the community center would want to make this request. What I'm, I'm a little bit confused by is the position of, of staff and the, and the planning commission. Um, I know you've come before us and explained the, the concern about the lack of moderate income housing. And this seems to go in the wrong direction based on the prior communications we've received in that, in that, situ in that context. So maybe you could explain a little bit more how this squares with the overall impression that I get, at least that you're concerned about you planning uh, about the lack of moderate income housing, because these that are slated for demolition or removal would seem to fit that bill. Mm -hmm. uh, you're right. I, we have talked about moderate income housing and low income housing in the community. Um, and that's certainly something that's of concern. Um, there's a lot of other concerns and community needs, too, that exist in Midland right now as well. And the master plan is a document that guides rezoning considerations and it guides staff opinion on rezoning requests. And the master plan is intended to look holistically at all of those view, uh, all of those needs and then balance them in specific parts of the city. So this was not staff looking at this petition and, and just looking at it from the scope of housing. It was staff looking at this petition under the context of the master plan, going through the 10 review criteria and then answering those as such. So <clears throat> you're right, there is a, a need for housing in, in Midland. Um, but when we use the guide of the master plan, we find that there's other parts of the city that we're trying to have development take place for housing. And this is one of those areas that we envisioned more recreation and more private recreation um, as opposed to housing. I guess, you know, um, the master plan is an imperfect document and it's going through another review and revision as we speak. So I'm, I'm always concerned about our, you know, blind adherence to the master plan. Um, while it's a guiding document, you still have to look at where, you, where things stand and the needs of the community as they stand today. 
these, this location also would be perfect, frankly, for, for this type of housing. I mean, you're right near parks, schools. It's, it's ideal residential housing. Again, I'm, I understand why the community center wants it. And I, I don't question their motive there. I, I would probably ask for the same thing. But from our perspective, from the city's perspective, from planning perspective, it doesn't seem like the right thing. And I think, you know, one of those things, too, you're right. I mean, the master plan does need to evolve with the community, and the community is evolving certainly at a, a fairly rapid pace, especially with pandemic and everything that's happening. Uh, one thing I would mention, though, is that in addition to housing, we also have needs around community attraction and retention of talent. We have needs for community facilities that are inclusive and uh, provide equity for recreational purposes. Um, there's lots of community needs that we have to look at. Um, as we give consideration to this. I don't, I don't think we blindly follow the master plan and looking at the 10 criteria, because we also look at things like development pattern in the area, um, the consistency with zoning, uh, the context of the surrounding area. Um, and this is just 1.6 acres of property, too. Um, it's not a large area that I think we would achieve high amounts of, of housing on, which is why I think the master plan envisions it for private recreation purposes as opposed to housing. Yeah. I, I don't, I've asked my questions. Okay. Any other I, questions for Mr. Marshall? Yeah, I was just wanting to follow up because the other thing too is when we talk about affordable housing, moderate, we need to look throughout the whole community, if I'm not mistaken, versus having certain areas which are highly concentrated, which is what we have today. Mm -hmm. that, that that's correct. Yeah, we do need to be holistic in our approach to that. Since there weren't any comments from those who are moving, from those houses that are in consideration, um, as long as they're okay with it, and then there doesn't seem to be a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Actually, I commend community center for working to help mm -hmm. them. Right. Well, tenants have no voice. Okay. <clears throat> Any other questions for Mr. Marshall? Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, this is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there any comments from the public? Either for or against. All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. Erica, will you please read the resolution? Zoning map by rezoning properties located at 1514, 1602, 1606, 1610, and 1614 State Street and part of 2205 Jefferson Avenue from RA41 to two-family residential to community zoning. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second. Discussion. Um, well, um, the comments, they, even if they're renters, they can still make a comment. And since there weren't any comments um, from the residents renting, um, I don't see a problem with it. If, if it's the right area to expand for the, the purposes in which they, the master plan is, is looking. Because it's far easier to expand something that already exists than to, to redo even a bigger area to, to accomplish the same thing. And, and I agree that there are a lot of places in the city that um, where housing development can take place, not just closely, uh, in proximity residents, but up to middle, middle size and, and larger for um, those that are looking for homes in Midland, attracting talent and so forth and diversity. 
Any other comments? You know, I just want to make sure we're not talking out of both sides of our mouth. You know, that we are had this push for moderate income housing and we need it and we need it. And on the other hand, we're taking some moderate income housing and removing it from the rolls. Um, I just think, you know, we go one way or the other, but this, you know, it, it seems a little too inconsistent for me. Okay, so I hear what you're saying and I think that's good that we have that conversation because I think that, um, you know, we do, we do need that housing, but I don't think that, I, I think we have to look at the whole, the whole plan and, and what is going in there and what is the, the intent and purposes of the building, the other building. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about what's going in there. It's been a, a, a gem of our community. That's been a place that for, for folks of all income levels. And it's, it's you know, been something that's a very important asset. And so I think that you know, the thought, there's some thoughtfulness that's gone along with, with this, the acquisition of that property. And it's been over time, it hasn't been, um, you know, something that just was happened in the last year. They were swept in and bought all those, you know, bought the houses. I mean, it's happened, you know, since 2015. So it's been a while. And I think that, you know, this is a part, this is sometimes the challenges that I think we face. And I think we have to look at the whole thing. We just can't look at one side or the other, but we have to take it as a whole. And from my perspective, I think that you know, the, the center and what that brings to that area, especially for low-income housing and where it is, it's important that it stay there and they'll be able to provide, you know, wonderful services from, you know, they do now well into the future. So to me, it makes perfect sense, even though it's a little different than what we've done before. Any other discussion? All right, then, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. Good conversation. Okay, that takes us now to item number five, which has to do with engineering. Ta-da. Mr. Driscoll. Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of council. Um, so tonight, our, our agenda item has actually two separate resolutions accompanying it. Uh, the first I'm gonna go over uh, is part of uh, one presentation. I'll do the first portion that'll cover the budget amendment aspect of the resolution. And then um, the second resolution uh, will be uh, part of the, the conversation from Brian Hanna from Warren Brzezink and then Jerry Stuyvesant here as well to go over the proposal that's in front of you tonight. So I want to make it clear that the, uh, the first resolution is actually the one that's required for a public hearing. So once we're done with our presentation and field questions from City Council, then um, we'll, we'll hold the public hearing for the first element after that. So um, I guess the, the reason for the, the request for budget amendment is, is this is this slide represents the why basically so uh, in, in order to accomplish the goal of approving the purchase order that's the second resolution tonight um, we have to find the funds to do so so if you go back and look at um, this slide you look at back in April of, of this year we City Council approved uh, the development of a floating drain disconnection program and then uh, subsequently in October after the 45-day referendum window uh, City Council approved the Concept 5 survey work, which was um, basically a survey work of all the large linear assets outside of the footing drain disconnection program areas. And then uh, most recently in December at our last Council session, Council approved um, the proposal for Morenberg Zinc to design the Sylvan Detention Basin. So as part of 
Uh, those elements of Concept 5, the proposal tonight will be covering the remainder of the design of all of Com Concept 5 in relation to those items as well. So um, it's also important to note that, uh, and Brian can elaborate more on this, um, we are on a tight schedule as far as um, getting this work done from, from their perspective. So uh, we're, we're on schedule to get this done, to meet all our SRF deadlines. Uh, I also want to note that the, the, all of these costs will be eligible for reimbursement through the SRF bond, which um, that number that's now kind of gravitated towards the $56 million range. Um, all of these costs that you'll see that are already on here that you'll, see, you'll hear about tonight are part of that $56 million. So the actual details of, of the budget amendment that we are asking for is um, we were able to identify $736,000 within the wastewater budget to put uh, forward to this proposal. Uh, that left us with a, a shortfall of $295,000 to get us to the $1.031 million proposal. Um, and this, the first resolution that's here for public hearing tonight is to amend the budget um, to increase our expenditures to that amount. And so I'm going to hand it over to Brian to go over his portion of the, of the presentation. I'll step back and then I'll jump back up for questions after that. Thank you, Jared, and thanks for uh, having me up here tonight. Um, just want to go through more as a reminder than anything what's remaining with the Concept 5. So we've, we've talked a lot about what all is involved with this. Uh, just wanted to kind of refresh everybody's memory because it's, it's a big number, obviously, uh, from our perspective. You guys previously authorized the Sylvan storage basin that ended up being a million gallon storage over in that area. With the pipe upsizing, um, we're doing about two and a half miles of pretty large pipe. Uh, basically coming up from the Valley Lift Station up towards the Moreland District. We also have the Footing Drain Disconnect Program in Moreland, as well as the Footing uh, Drain Disconnect Program in Whitewood, uh, which entails all of the laterals um, from each of the houses going into the storm system instead of the sanitary. And then the uh, sanitary lining program, there's 144,000 linear feet of pipe, uh, as well as some piping on the outlet of the Whitewood neighborhood. So it's a pretty large scope can be seen graphically here. Um, again, looking at uh, all the purple uh, linear work is all of the big uh, pipes. Uh, the neighborhoods are outlined in the purple dashes and then the, the uh, Sylvan um, offline detention basin is, is there in the square. So these are all the things that were discussed as part of the concept five. Again, this um, contract tonight is to design the remaining elements most of those linear assets in there, uh, including all of that large pipe sanitary sewer upsizing and utility replacement uh, over the top of that. Um, and then the footing drain disconnect program elements within the neighborhood. Uh, we've got the Moreland neighborhood as well as the Whitewood neighborhood. And those were designed, looked at in conjunction with your staff in terms of the CIP. So as you see the CIP come through from your staff, coming up for budgeting and everything. Um, I'll go through the kind of the schedule, but the staff was really instrumental in determining what within those neighborhoods needed to be uh, adjusted and replaced and included in the design as part of that. And then the final element is the sanitary sewer lining program. And again, uh, there's 144,000 linear feet of piping to be lined um, through there. So uh, the total design that, that uh, we're requesting authorization for tonight is 1.03 million. Um, so what you're kind of get for that obviously is all of the uh, engineered drawings um, to be used for construction. The picture in the bottom left corner is a concept for one of the offline storage basins uh, in the upper right there just shows a general 
plan that you'd see for the streets, including um, sanitary and storm, water main assets, things like that. Um, nothing atypical. And then uh, with the SRF, there's some pretty um, specific things that need to be included in the construction specifications related to their program, including um, uh, American Iron and Steel and prevailing wages and things like that to satisfy all their program requirements. So those are the things that we're going to make sure are included as part of that. So schedule-wise, uh, again, worked um, with your staff. They were, they were really good in helping us arrange what needed to be done uh, year to year, both on the linear assets as well as within um, the neighborhoods uh, for the Flint and Drain Disconnect programs and stuff. So this is generally the way that we have it uh, laid out right now. Maybe subject to change once we get into the final design, uh, but this should split it out from a cost perspective as well as what's achievable within the neighborhoods on a per year basis. So. Brian, just so I understand the funding here, that correlates to when the work is being done in that particular, on that particular street. Yeah. So that would be the earliest that a footing drain disconnect could happen on that particular street is tied to those years reflected in this chart. Yep, that's absolutely correct. And the earliest, again, we're looking at quarter 4.5 in the uh, SRF schedule. So the notice to proceed would probably get issued at the end of um, November, uh, give or take. And so we'd probably be looking at starting construction in, in uh, March of the following year. So it'd be okay. March of 2023 for construction. So, yep. Any other questions on this one? I know it's, it's a lot up there. You guys will get copies of this it's and everything. It's helpful having all the extra meetings to understand all this, including what we just did Saturday with the planning. It, it helps understand the finance as well as what is actually taking place. Sure. It's appreciated. Actually, I had one other question. On the Sylvan storage, it shows it as 25, 26. I was under the impression that that actually could go forward much sooner than some of the others. We, we may be able to, um, but we were trying to stagger some of the construction around the city so that it didn't have as large of an impact at, at any one point in time. So while we're already starting to design on that now, you guys authorized us in December to, to begin that. So we're, we're moving forward on that one, and we could probably move that up in the schedule if needed. Um, but generally, if you look at when, what we'd want to do is while we've got the underground contractor over in that area doing that, those large linear assets, we'd probably have them uh, touching the things in that park as well at the same time, because ultimately it's got to be tied together for from an overflow perspective to get into the basin. So. so instead of having multiple areas, we'll just mess up one area of town at one point in time and then we'll go to the, the intent is to make it as easy as possible. possible on it, everyone, yeah. Everyone's going to yeah. hate us because it's going to be torn up for a couple of years. Sure. But th that's the intent. Yeah. So I so. think that's a good question of Steve's because I think we did think that that could probably happen right away. And, so, and it could. Yeah. And we can definitely discuss that. So yeah, I, again, all of this has to be um, package for SRF, uh, basically some of it needs to be in the spring, anything related to the sanitary. We have to get to 90% design and turn those over for part 41 review. And then the rest of it uh, gets fully completed and turned in in June. And so we've got some time to think about that. And if we need to rearrange things, it all has to go, even though these are split amongst five years worth of work, it has to be one package that we turn in because there's gonna be one big loan taken out, so. 
Yes, that one doesn't involve as many you know, streets and so forth. It, it is basically in that park, we could do it and then restore the park and kind of leave it alone for a while until we went after that street. So okay. we can decide. So that, just to clarify though, to... don't we have about 2,900 linear feet of pipe right in that area? Correct. Um, that, that, that's detention yep, area. Basically coming well, from right? that park back to the east right. okay. down All right. the street. So thanks. Sorry. Yep. Oh, I was just gonna ask, Sylvan's gonna be done, but what's the push to get it done earlier? Is it because you want it disconnected from the pipes that are going over into your area? I'm yes. just curious. Yes, that's, that's, that's primary, because this the Sylvan storage is going, to, is, is going to relieve potential flooding in an area that's not really getting any at other attention driven to it. Also, the fact that you know it's, has, we've seen for any street construction, it seems to take the entire construction year, you know, basically the entire good weather period of time. Whereas that one, in my mind, you go to a discrete place, it's a hole in the ground, you, you, you know, you dig it, you put the pieces in, you're done, you, you cover it up, yep. and, you know, it can be done much more quickly, I would think. That's, that's the other reason. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, absolutely, we can, we can talk through that. Um, so I'll turn it back over to Jared. He just, I think, wanted to go through the resolutions. Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate once again that there are two separate resolutions and the public hearing is strictly for the, the budget amendment one. Um, that, that's the only reason that slides up there. And, uh, and with that, we'll open it up for any questions. Okay. Does anyone on council have any questions for Jared or anyone from the engineering field firm? Okay, we're good right now. Thank you very much. All right. so. This is a public hearing regarding item A, which is the um, amendment to the budget. We'll open the public hearing. Any comments from the public? Yeah, I got some comments on it. Okay. Um, you still have to put your mask on. Can you take it off? You can take okay? it off while you're there. Yep. All right, good. Yeah, I've got some questions for you all. I mean, that's Mr. Uh, Mr. Elson, you need to address council, please. Oh, sorry. And tell us who you are. <laughs> yeah all right anyways yeah i'm good i'm glad that we're doing this this is all we, needed you need to we know mr elson we know who you are but everyone else here doesn't 6106 sturgeon creek parkway midland michigan john elson john elson okay, okay. very good <laughs> okay anyways that's how that's over with um yeah this is a needed project i'm 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 for doing this this is long overdue and needed to be done years ago and many city council and city managers have neglected infrastructure for many years and actually this city government and city council has also neglected things like can they continue to build continue to build in areas that are increase the amount of of uh, wastewater that comes into the sewer systems and overland and they haven't done anything about that as far as i'm concerned in fact this whole proposal has nothing to do with overland flooding at all. Maybe a little bit with maybe uh, sealing some of the, sealing some of the um, manholes, but nothing really to do with overland flooding at all. Although I want to, I want I go back to planning again, and I want, when, when I see this, I, the one that came out four years ago was really good. I like that proposal. That's where concept five is basically coming from, but what I don't know and I haven't seen, and I hope that when they do this uh, program and submit it, that they actually put, lay down not just the headlines, but the scope of work. I'd like them to do 
the risk assessment. I like to see a risk assessment. If they don't know what a risk assessment is, like the, like some planners don't even know what it is, it's frequency versus you know severity of, of an event. And there are some things in this that you probably don't even know, but when you're lining pipe, if it doesn't work out correctly, you could end up with having to dig up the pipe, the whole pipe, and everybody will be without any, any uh, sewer, sewer at all. So if the frequency of it, I don't know. The, the severity would be that, okay? And so you got to know, when you do a risk assessment, you identify all the risks in the project, and you label them all, and you put your mitigating factors in there so that you can proceed to the next step. Now, I'd like to see that in their proposal, too. Not just the $56 million and not just the scope of work but also, and the plans, but I also like to see the risk assessment being done so you guys even know what risk you're even taking in any phase of this project. That's good for me. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Any other comment? Okay, seeing no other comment, we'll close the public hearing. Erica, would you please read... The first one. This resolution amends the fiscal year 2021-2022 Wastewater Enterprise Fund budget to decrease working capital by $295,000 and to increase appropriations by $295,000 for the Concept 5 sewer improvement engineering costs. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first, Steve, second, Pam Hall. Can I okay. that one, Mark? Okay. We got you, okay. Pam. Okay, <laughs> okay. first and second. Discussion. This is only on A. Right. Budget amendment. No right. comment. The budget amendment. We're just budget. Well, it was good points that he brought up. Okay. And, um, and I think that we have a pretty good team that is looking at risks and so forth. And perhaps it just needs to be stated a little more user friendly so the public understands that is being considered. Okay. Because the alternative is, without improving it is the frustration of waiting so long to get something started. So something was researched and planned and now it's getting started. Any other discussion on this one? All right, then ready to vote. Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. Now that takes us down now to B, which is um, authorizing a purchase order. And Erica, will you please read that resolution? Resolution for professional services in accord with section 219 of the Code of Ordinances of the City of Midland authorizes a purchase order in the amount of $1,031,000 to Moorbridge Inc. to design all of the elements of Concept 5. Okay, can we have a motion to accept this resolution? So moved. Second. Okay. Steve and Marty. First and second discussion on this. Okay, I'm going to comment. Now, first, I understand we're authorizing a purchase order. Mm -hmm. However, it is also for the design. So there's three bullet points I want captured. Um, it, it's not for discussion today, but Whitewood falls in Marty's ward and my ward, and so there's some concerns. So the, when it comes to the design, so what I'd like having taken into consideration only for Whitewood, I'm not speaking to Moreland, um, is one, starting at the bottom um, or at the lower elevation levels and monitor so that the work being done, once it hits a threshold, that there's a discussion versus forcing everybody 
to make a decision on what's needed and what's not, or forcing them to do something that may not need, be needed. Secondly, um, when it comes to charging, it needs to be really clear that folks are not going to be charged when this project starts. It charging comes after they get the letter, have to make a decision, and if they choose, no, because there are some questions out there about that. Third, what happens if there are trees in the way of where they're digging um, trenches to put the pipes in? And then four, addressing the expectation that either the buyer or the seller has to have footing drains removed um, before the house is sold or if it's sold that it's the buyer's responsibility. So no discussion required. Just want those on there so they're addressed during design. Thank okay. You. Okay. Is that part mm -hmm. Okay. I've got them written down. Okay, <laughs> can, can I can okay. I get a clarification then based yeah. on what Diane suggests? Because I, I don't disagree that all those things need to be addressed. Yeah. What I want to understand is in terms of what the design work that's being done. Does it address, or is it even attempting to address, the order in which things are done or how they're done, or is it just how the system is going to look? In other words, for her questions, is any of that part of what you're going to put into the design? The question is essentially phases. So phases, this phases, or is yeah. it, or is that all something that comes after the design is put together? You follow what I'm asking? Yeah, so I, I think I got it, and let me know if I, if I miss anything. But the understanding, I think the question is, can we start at the bottom and work our way up? And, and generally, with any of the infrastructure that gets put in the ground related to additional storm sewers or um, working on the sanitary system or anything like that, you kind of have to start at the bottom and work your way up. So generally, that's the plan. Some of the streets may be rearranged because we worked with the staff based on kind of impact to the neighborhoods to try and alleviate any major traffic concerns so that people could still kind of get in and get out. So uh, there is still a little bit of room to, to move that stuff around mm -hmm. as best we can. Um, but that was kind of work through in conjunction with your staff. So uh, again, we can, we can talk that over with them yep. further based on your comments mm -hmm. and, and see if any additional changes need to be made. Okay. But when you design, does it have, does the, does it, is it just a design or is it also the a plan of work as well? I understand that this is how you usually do it. Uh, and I, I tend to agree that we still need to decide based on things in the community, which way is the best way to approach timing on this. And so I, I, I don't want too much, I'm okay with you designing how it should look, but I think we need to have a further discussion before that gets baked into the process, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to, you know, is your design work going to bake it in or is, do we have, because you're, you're trying to do this in the next six months or so, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, or is that something that can happen in the next phase after that work that you're doing? So generally what, what we'll probably end up doing is splitting it out into you know, phases, year one, year two, year three, year four, and those will have somewhat defined limits but given that generally the, all, the contract is going to have to include all of the six phases right up front, 
there's right. going to be some flexibility to adjust and move. And, you know, with construction seasons, if it is overly rainy or yep, they run sure. into cold weather, you know, things may get rolled into the next year or maybe the contractor's done quickly and could move things forward. So th there will be some things that need to be adjusted as we go. Uh, but if there are comments or anything like specific to request, I would rather bake that into the plans as best I can now, knowing that there are going to be some, you know, minor changes within that but it, but it, ultimately it's going to be one big project that gets bid at, at, on day one and there is some flexibility within that okay because so I, I echo your concerns mm -hmm. about how we approach mm -hmm. the rollout if you will yeah. mm -hmm. but the other question i have too based on what you just said so yes you're going to do a design but whitewood is very different than moreland mm -hmm. so are you doing a design where it's going to be a one-size-fits-all? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Correct. No, there'll be separate surveys and everything for each of those two neighborhoods. Each of those two neighborhoods will be designed separately. Okay. In Moreland, there's a lot of water main and a lot more storm sewer to be added. In Whitewood, it's a lot more mill and fill and street reconstruction um, after the laterals are, are added out to the storm sewer. So there, there's very different scopes in each of the neighborhoods, and you can see that from yep. the, the difference in cost mm -hmm. that we've got between those neighborhoods as well. So. It will be customized per neighborhood. Okay. My expectation would that there probably be two separate contractors working on those as well, right? So our, our package will be kind of the Moreland neighborhood package, the Whitewood neighborhood package, and then a lot of the other linear uh, assets as another package as okay. well. So, Good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But okay. Brad put it on the calendar for further discussion on, yep. on addressing these issues. And, uh, you know, yeah. we have others too that have kind of come up throughout, sure. you know, that we've, we knew they were going to come and we don't have answers for yet. Some we do, but I think we just need to not let time slip too far away before we address it so that we can make sure to get it in the design. Yeah, I think Brian could probably have answered that really bluntly to say we've already got that on our target because we've heard it before, um, not okay. only from you at, uh, here on council, but certainly from the neighborhoods as well. And so Jared and his team and Brian and his team all have that very much at the forefront of their thoughts as they're going through this. Um, also keep in mind that uh, when we get to the point of awarding contract, it's got to come back before you. So you'll see exactly what we're doing and how we're going to implement that. So you will still have says throughout this process um, before any of this goes to construction. I mean, as you know, we don't want to let it too much work get done and then have to rework well, stuff. I mean, we want to address it we'll, as we go. We'll be working on it in the background, right. I guess. All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Any other conversation on this? Okay. Any comments from the public on this? We've already had the public hearing. Okay. Well, all right then. Are you ready to vote? Okay. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. That's one of the best ayes we've had in a long time. Let me just say that. <laughs> Expensive, but good. All right, that takes us now to public comment. This is an opportunity for the public to comment on issues that are relevant to council business, but not on the agenda. Is there any public comment this evening? Okay, then moving on, that takes us now to item number six, which is the first reading of, um, to establish the new uh, boundary lines for the wards and Erica. <laughs> So 
as the mayor said tonight, I'm here to introduce the ordinances. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna take your mask off so we can hear you. Okay. <clears throat> so tonight I'm here to introduce the ordinances to reapportion the wards and precincts for the city of Midland. Um, the first step in that reapportionment process is conducting the United States Census. Population is calculated every 10 years by the decennial census, and according to the most recent census, the city of Midland's population increased by about 684 in that 2010 census. Then nationwide redistricting follows based on the information gathered in the census. There were some delays in that collection process, and so census data was released later than usual, um, which has resulted in kind of a condensed process. In Michigan, the redistricting process is conducted by the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission after in 2018 voters amended the Michigan Constitution to create that commission. They have exclusive authority to uh, adopt district boundaries every 10 years for the Michigan House and Senate districts as well as the U.S. Congressional districts. For the fifth consecutive time, Michigan has lost a representative seat in Congress. Mm -hmm. Uh, this commission adopted their district maps in late December, and they will be finalized uh, coming up uh, later this winter. In conjunction with redistricting, each Michigan county then considers if reapportionment is required after review of that census data. In the county of Midland, no changes in the number of districts were needed this time, but district lines were redrawn and approved for submission by the committee in October. The city of Midland now has five county commissioner districts from Midland and one Bay County commissioner district. Um, the Midland County Commissioner District 2 now covers a portion of the city that is in Ward 4 north of US 10. Following reapportionment on the county level is where the city now must consider ward reapportionment based on the census data we have received. These are the criteria that were used in reapportioning the wards for the city in the proposal. Um, the ward shall be nearly as equal in population as is practicable and contiguous and compact. This means no one ward should be more than 11.9% larger or smaller than any other ward. When practicable, we use major roadways and waterways as the boundaries and then those boundaries shall be drawn in consideration of the county commissioner districts and their impact on the precincts within each of the wards. In addition to the ward realignment, we'll be looking at precinct realignment to match those newly adjusted ward boundaries. These are the criteria that are used for those precinct realignments. By law, precincts cannot exceed 2,999 active registered voters. They should not cross ward or district lines. Uh, when practicable, we also use those major roadways and waterways as the boundaries. And where practicable, precincts should be consolidated to allow us to more efficiently allocate the resources that we have in the clerk's department. Um, in the proposal, the city would go from having 24 precincts down to 19. This, we think, allows for the better allocation of those resources like time, money, equipment, and staff. As I stated, one of those criteria is that the population shall be as equal as possible or practicable. Um, you can see on the left-hand side is the current populations for the way the words are drawn presently. 
And based on this census data, you can see that Ward 2 had too small of a population and Ward 4 had too large of a population for that 11.9%. Um, the other wards are also outside of the deviation standard, but um, if two and four are aligned more closer to equal, then it brings the other wards uh, in as well. The proposed populations and deviations are on, are on the right, and you can see that they are all within the acceptable range and quite close to equal. Here is the bird's eye view of the current and proposed ward maps. We're gonna look at each ward individually, um, but as we saw in the populations on the previous side, our criteria require that Ward 2 and Ward 4's populations be reapportioned so that all of them can be uh, closer to equal representation. Looking closer at the proposal, uh, because you can see here, because Ward 2 and Ward 4 do not share a county commissioner district, it's impractical to shift between these two wards directly without uh, going against our criteria to not cross district lines. And you can see those district lines in bold black on this map for the county. The proposal instead shifts from Ward 4, which is the green ward, to Ward 5 in the area of their shared District 6. You can see that change in the spotted yellow on this map. And then Ward 5 shifted population to Ward 1 in the area of their shared commissioner district, which is that spotted pink region. And then finally, Ward 1 shifted to Ward 2 in their previously shared county commissioner district 5, which is the spotted green area. I know this area looks pretty big, but it actually doesn't contain a super dense population. Um, it was necessary as well because Ward 2 had to come up by about 1,000 in population. Um, and even after this shift from 1 to 2, um, Ward 1 actually gained population by about 60 residents. And because census blocks and population density vary so much in the city, especially in that center block area, um, it's not going to ever be a one-to-one, -one, you know, we can't take, we need a thousand voters, we can't take exactly a thousand voters. So we just did the best that we could with transferring the census blocks to make everyone as close to equal as possible. And then finally, Ward 3, you can see that there aren't any adjustments to that boundary. Once Ward 2 and 4 were brought um, very close to that equal range, Ward 3's population was well within the deviation. Are there any questions on this before I move on to the individual wards? Okay. This is the current and proposed precinct structure for Ward 1. As you can see, Ward 1 goes from having six precincts down to having four, and we reduce the number of county commissioner districts um, by that transfer to Ward 2, which helps us meet our consolidation criteria. And you'll, you can also note that there are shifts in polling locations that are going to be noted throughout the proposal, but we'll be discussing those more at the next meeting when we would have to pass a resolution to change those locations. In the map here, you can see closer up the four proposed precincts on the right-hand side. Ward 2 absorbed that yellow precinct, um, so that's gone on the right-hand side map. Additionally, I should note that while our criteria suggest that we don't cross boundary lines, we actually do in the green precinct cross a boundary line. That um, area is the portion of the city that is in Bay County. On the left is that pink area. And we combined that into that green precinct 
in terms of resource allocation, we really just didn't feel it was beneficial to have a separate precinct for 106 voters. Um, we have to set up a separate machine and equipment and staff, so we decided to combine it with that precinct. Are there any questions on Ward 1 before we moved on? Just while the map is up. Okay. Looking closer now at Ward 2, you can see the population increase of about 1,000, which brings it very close to equal, which is 8,509. Um, Ward 2 kept the same number of precincts and county commissioner districts. We did change the voting location for one particular precinct at City Hall. Um, it now has a much smaller precinct, which will really help alleviate the volume of residents and voters um, and just people in general that are here on Election Day. It can get pretty crowded here. And you can also note on this that the precinct numbers have changed. This was a request from the state of Michigan to update to a more modern naming scheme. So in the proposal, our precincts go from one to 19 instead of having each ward separately labeled. And then here on the map for Ward 2, you can see that um, Ward uh, 1 absorbed some of that population or some of that population that was absorbed from Ward 1, it's that blue precinct, or most of that blue precinct on the right. Um, we had considered combining the blue and orange precincts into one precinct. However, the only logical polling location for that precinct would be City Hall. And as I just mentioned, it can get really crowded here on Election Day and confusing for people who are just trying to pay their water bill to see you know, a long line outside of voters and people coming to register to vote or drop off a ballot. So we really wanted to keep the City Hall precinct, which is the orange one, to just the minimum number of voters that it's convenient for them to vote at. Those people on the West End, we don't want them to have to drive all the way to Midland High to vote. So we gave that orange precinct to City Hall and then the remainder of the voters in the Eastern portion of the blue there are gonna be voting at Midland High. Um, we think that Midland High is gonna be an excellent location for these voters. It's pretty quick to get there for them and it's a much larger facility than City Hall so it's easy to park. and find your precinct. Are there any questions on this ward before I move on? Okay. Here you can see similarly that Ward 3's population and commissioner districts stayed the same, but we still wanted to achieve that consolidation. So we moved um, from four precincts down to three. Additionally, to better accommodate a request from Midland Public Schools um, to avoid elementary schools where possible, and also Michigan election law has a preference for publicly owned buildings like schools or fire departments or city halls, um, we are going to be moving Ward 3's uh, precincts to vote at Dow High, which is a pretty large facility and well-known in the community, so we think it will be a great option, and we work with Midland Public Schools to make sure that was the best option there. And then here you can see those same ward boundaries, but on the right hand in the proposal, there would be three precincts instead of four. Are there any questions on this ward before we move on? Okay. Ward four decreased by population by about a thousand to bring it closer to the ideal. Um, for ward four, we were still able to achieve a consolidation down to only four precincts from five, even though 
Um, there was that county commissioner district added in the northern portion. Um, like I said, just because of uh, splits and crossing boundaries, we, we wanted to keep that, that word separate. We can see on the next, or that precinct separate, we can see on this slide. Um, the area in the orange on the right-hand map is that new section that's gonna be part of County Commissioner District 2. We decided to make it its own precinct because um, if we had kept the same precinct structure with what the county had proposed, it would have meant that three, all, um, three of our precincts that touch 10 in the left-hand proposal would have had a split in them, meaning that there would be two ballots in each, each of those precincts. Um, and we, we really wanted to avoid that. And we also um, were comfortable with making the orange section its own precinct to avoid that. It's about 650 voters, which is a pretty small precinct, but it was still better than, than trying to deal with three different splits. It can be very time consuming and costly to have splits in a precinct. Are there any questions on this word before we go on? What is the, the white area in the orange? That's a section of Ward 4 that was not annexed into the city yet. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. And now, finally, we will take a look at Ward 5. Uh, this population was slightly increased. It didn't need to increase. It's just part of that facilitation to transfer from Ward 4 to Ward 2 because those census blocks vary in density, especially in this area of the city. Um, it wasn't an exact transfer, but we were able to bring um, Ward 5 down to four precincts and retain its two county commissioner districts. On the map here, you can see those realigned boundaries. Uh, the top right in the yellow is where we made that transfer from Ward 4 and then the area in the blue precinct um, that was previously purple on the left hand side was uh, facilitated the final transfer to Ward 1 and then we simply divided the precincts as evenly as we could uh, into four. Are there any questions on Ward 5? So tonight's vote provides introduction and first reading to the ordinances redefining those words and precincts as we um, just saw. The second reading and adoption of these ordinances is scheduled for our next meeting on January 24th. And upon adoption of the ordinances is when I would propose a resolution to reassign those polling locations for each of the new precincts. Finally, after adoption takes place and the resolution is passed to change the polling locations, we would submit the information to the Secretary of State, the Bureau of Elections, and the County Clerk's Office. They would then update all of the information in the qualified voter file so that we could distribute this information to the voters ahead of the election schedule this year. We would also put a lot of information on social media. Um, we have a lot of information already on our website, in the newspaper, as many things as we could think of to make sure people check their polling location and know where they need to go uh, in August and November of this year. So when does, when did the actual changes take place for, for each of us? When does, when do those new areas come? It would be when you file for the August election, you would be filing for the ward that you live in that would have that, those new boundaries. So it, it would be for August. It would not. The question's a half a step beyond that. So right, say April, when, when they're required to file. Mm -hmm. They file certainly for the new uh, new wards, but what about representation over the course of this year up until the November election? Does that, that would, change or does that actually take effect as soon as adopted? No, it would go into effect when you are reelected in November. 
So when you would actually have those new boundaries as you're worn. And then we have to, this will be for the next 10 years. Um, the, the ward boundaries are for the next 10 years, yes, based on population, but we also wrote the ward boundaries to include things like annexation. So we typically don't say to a road on the northern portion of the city or on the eastern portion where annexations are more common. We say to the city limits. So if somebody does get annexed in, the border would technically change, but we would still be safe in this because our intention would be to include those new people coming in to have them be adopted into that closest ward. We also, with precinct structure, that's more easily changed in between. So if, for example, we did have a very large amount of people move into a particular precinct and they got large enough, which is unlikely, because that would be about 1,000 voters would be needed to move in, um, we could adjust precinct structure in between now and the next 10 years. Who worked on this with you? Um, well, it's assigned to the city clerk's office. We have my deputy, Lacey Todd, but um, we work with a lot of people in the city their GIS, GIS mm -hmm. department was really really helpful in terms of creating these maps with us but the the actual drawing of the lines was done by the clerk's office it looks good thank you the uh, committee sent it to the Board of Commissioners the middle Board of Commissioners have they accepted that the yeah, county not, yes the, um, county. the county has a commission that um, did adopt it and then that goes to the state directly is my understanding okay. Because that happened, what, August of last year? They started in August. It was actually okay. adopted on October 6th. Okay, of last year. Yes, yes. Yeah. Any other okay. questions for me? No, thank you very oh. much. Thank you. Okay, any comments from the public? Okay, then seeing none, we'll just wait a second. <laughs> All right, when you're ready, will you please read the resolution? This resolution amends the fiscal, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the first reading and introduction of an ordinance establishing the new ward boundary lines for the five wards within the city of Midland to conform to the 2020 census of the United States and Public Act 182 of the Public Acts of 1966. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. We have first and second, any discussion? That makes more sense population-wise and so forth, and all the reasons she stated. However, I do have an area that I don't like that was redone, but, you know, I understand the reasoning why this has to be done, um, and I've already talked to Erica, and I know they've done a great job, and they've put in a lot of hours, so it is what it is, but uh, I'm not going to pretend I like it. Anything else? All right, then let's vote. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. That now takes us down to item number seven, which is the first reading. Oh, oh. The precinct. B. Oh. Um, B? Uh, on this? On this? Oh, yeah, because the B is the first reading. In yeah. In the summary report. So the precinct. So the, the mm -hmm. so the first resolution was the, Just the, the realignment of the wards. The second resolution, which would be again first reading, um, is for the precincts that she presented as she was going through each of the individual wards. 
that you have to approve separately. The ward changes and then the precinct changes. So and that's <clears throat> ward is one and precinct boundary line is two? Yes. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it oh, that way, okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> All right, then, will you please read that resolution? This is the first reading and introduction of an ordinance establishing the election precincts to conform to the County of Midland Commissioner Districts, State Senate, and House Districts, and Congressional Boundaries. So moved. Second. Okay. Any discussion on that? All right, then. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0 also. All right, that takes us now down to item number seven, which has to do for recreation fees. Ms. Murphy's here to tell us about that. Say, so don't make me give Brad's presentation. <laughs> um, thank you, Madam Go Mayor. For so, it. let's see what we end up with. So, I am here tonight to um, introduce the recreation fee process. Um, this process starts in the fall every year with the Parks and Recreation Commission. In October, we review the recreation fee philosophy. In November, the Parks Commission takes proposed fees from staff into consideration. And then in December, we hold a public hearing at our Parks Commission meeting. And then in mid-December, we have a joint meeting with City Council to talk about those proposed uh, fee changes. So tonight I'm here with the first reading of the general recreation and swimming fee ordinances and then I will be back at the January 24th council meeting to talk about the second reading and adoption of those ordinances. So just to look quickly at the recreation fee philosophy in the area of competitive sports our fee philosophy asks that we recover all direct costs associated with adult sports which would be field maintenance and programming costs and then for the youth sports to only recover those programming costs. Under facilities and equipment use on our fee philosophy, our aim is to recover costs associated with the labor to set up facilities and to deliver and pick up equipment. And in the swimming uh, fee philosophy section, our aim is to cover approximately 50% of the operations of the budget for Plymouth Pool. And this is consistent with our philosophy for other activities that serve primarily youth so that we can keep those um, activities affordable for families. So here I have the uh, proposed fee changes in our competitive sport areas. We are looking to increase all the adult and youth softball fees by $2 per player. So as you can see, all those fees would, would bump up for adult softball in, in uh, both the regular and fall league and the youth softball leagues would all go up by $2 per player. Also under competitive sports would be our beach volleyball fees. And this year we're proposing to change these from a per, um, to a per team fee as opposed to a per player. So our current fees are per player. This can get a little tricky if somebody has a two-person team and they want to have a couple alternates on the team. And so um, we went to, we're proposing a team fee. So as long as they pay the team fee, they can have additional alternates. Um, everybody's busy and sometimes people can't make it to their games. So allowing that um, team structure will be helpful. Um, this equates to about $35 per player. Um, the new team fees, which is an increase from, from where we were at currently, but it does align well with other fees for adult programs, such as the softball per player fee and the uh, kickball per player fee. So we feel, still feel like we're very relevant here, and it will allow us to recover all of our costs. Under facilities and equipment use, we are proposing to eliminate the rugby club fee. We haven't used this fee in probably five to seven years now, uh, so we just want to clean that up. 
we would like to add the community garden plot rental fee to our schedule and, and uh, charge $35 per season per plot. For our toboggan rental, we'd like to increase that by $2 per hour. And as a side note, we are packing toboggan runs as we speak, so hopefully the weather holds out, we'll be able to get those up and running. Uh, we'd like to increase our sled rental by a dollar per rental. And again, these fees for the toboggans and the sleds are just to allow us to keep uh, the equipment in good condition and keep replacing it as needed. In the area of the city forest, for the chalet, we'd like to add a cancellation deposit of $50. Um, to date, we have a no cancellation uh, clause, and so if somebody rents a facility for $300 and, and they aren't able to use it, um, we don't have a mechanism to give them part of their money back. We just keep their money, and we don't feel that that's a, a good uh, look for us, so we want to be able to just keep that $50 because that's what we feel we have into the administration cost if a uh, cancellation occurs. And then for our city forest winter packages, we have three different levels of package. The warming house is simply using the chalet and um, having hot chocolate and, and popcorn. The winter fun is the chalet, hot chocolate, popcorn, and then um, an event like uh, ski, uh, I'm sorry, skating or um, maybe cross-country skiing. And then the toboggan adventure is um, everything with the toboggans thrown in. We're asking to increase all of these packages by $25. And this is simply to cover the cost of the staff that we need to have at the chalet. Our costs have gone up for labor, and so we want to keep uh, those fees relevant. Also under facilities and equipment use, we have the tournament fees that are associated with rental and use of our ball fields. Um, we want to change the wording on our non-refundable um, field deposit. We did have it at $75 of full fee. We want to change that to $75 or full fee, whichever is less. We had some instances where um, people, their rental was less expensive than the deposit and, that, and then they canceled and we had to ask for a full deposit. So we just wanna make this again fair for people. We're looking to um, increase our field rentals, a four hour rental from 60 to $75 per field, a full day rental from 110 to 125 per field, and our daily complex fees for new red coats from 400 to 450 per day and optimists from 300 to 350 per day. Again, these are all associated with the labor costs to get these uh, fields and facilities ready for use. Also under tournament fees, we want to eliminate the option we've had in the past for rake and chalk only for tournaments. It was $10 per game, very cost effective for those who wanted to only have raked and chalked fields, but it was taking us more effort than what it was worth to provide that service. So we will eliminate that, and people who want to have the fields prepped in between games can choose these ball diamond grooming option where we take a piece of equipment out and zip it around to clean the field up. And we'll be asking to increase this from 20 to $25 per groom to keep up with those labor costs. And then in the area of swimming, we want to add a large group fee for groups of 25 or more. And what we're proposing is to use whatever the limited pass rate is at the time. So for example, our current limited pass for youth is $45 for 15 admissions. So I could buy this card for my son, he could go 15 times. Or if I had a daycare, I could come and, and say, hey, I have 25 kiddos in my daycare. Um, we would look at the $45 fee. It, it equates to $3 per admission um, as compared to the daily admission of $5. So that $25 group of youth could get in for $75 instead of $125. And this mainly is to serve those daycares that bring large groups of kids to the, to the pool in the summertime to make it more affordable for those groups. 
Um, so we did hold a, a public hearing at the Parks Commission meeting in December and no public comments were offered at that time. And the commission did make a recommendation to propose these fees to council. So again, this evening is the first reading of those ordinances and January 24th, I'll be back with the second reading and request for adoption. Okay, anyone have any questions for Ms. Murphy? No. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you. Any comments from the public on this? Okay, seeing none, Erica, would you please read the resolution? This action gives first reading to the two ordinances to amend fees for various recreation offerings. We have a motion to accept the resolution. So moved. Second. Second, any discussion on this? Good job as always. Yeah, I think you're yeah. very thoughtful on how you go through that. So thanks for that work. Ready to vote? All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. That takes us now down to item number eight, which is Mr. K, and gonna talk about our, our objectives for next year and what we talked about on Saturday. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, as you're all very well aware, we spent a, a good portion of our weekend from about nine o'clock in the morning until almost six o'clock on Saturday, reviewing a number of different topics, uh, covering a number of presentation issues, um, everything from medical and recreational marijuana to an update from the Y or the DEI uh, group that is working in the community to the work that they've had ongoing to a number of financial issues. And tonight we're really here uh, to encapsulate really, uh, frankly, what we talked about on Saturday because we had some general directives provided tonight is where we sort of put them in place and enact those. Um, we're gonna be start off with a little bit about things that aren't budget related. Um, I mentioned the medical recreational marijuana matter. This is uh, an issue that has been in front of the council a couple of times. Uh, the council has taken actions to opt out, uh, particularly from the recreational marijuana side of things. City Attorney Jim Branson made a presentation updating you on where the legislative issues stood, um, providing you with some of the regulatory approaches and ideas and concepts that could be approached. And the direction at that point in time was that council wished to look at the non-sales uh, type activities, which would include the testing and the transport, for instance, uh, of marijuana products. So the direction was provided back to the city attorney at that point in time that he will bring back further information, presented to you and you will continue your discussion to move forward uh, potentially uh, on that particular topic. Secondly, we talked about um, an ongoing, and this is actually direction that has been provided to myself and, and through me to my staff um, over the last number of years to look at the budgets, the department's operations, the functionality of the different departments and, and, and things that we do to find out where we're efficient, where we're maybe not quite as efficient, perhaps question what we're doing or not doing as we go through that. Um, and we've done that with most of our departments over the last three years. The fire department was an exception to that in terms of having been completed, largely due to the fact that we had a retiring department head in Chief uh, Chris Coughlin. He just retired at the end of December, so first week in we thought our new fire chief, Josh Moser, will hand him this big topic of looking at the review. Uh, but the frank reality of it is, is we need an external uh, source to help us through that. And it's really to make sure that we're looking at best practices and operations and looking at it from a number of different perspectives to make sure that we do it properly. And so the direction that you as council provided back to us as staff was that um, at the administrative level, we can go back, we can take a look in the current year's budget to find the funds necessary to move this forward. And then we would report back to you uh, once we're able to do that. So we started today as a matter of fact on that. 
And then the third issue was this building. Um, any of you uh, that have looked closely at the facility, you understand that it's a building that is aging, uh, and in some cases not aging particularly well. It has certainly lived past its, uh, its life in a number of areas, but most importantly, the efficiency of the building and the security of the building are lax for current day standards. Uh, it's sometimes a sad reflection and a commentary on what we deal with, but the reality is, is that both for the public and for city staff, um, we need to look at the security issues and the security of this particular building. Frankly, this room is an example. The technology is outdated and there are improvements that are necessary as we move forward. And the direction was provided to take that back also, um, revisit some of the cost estimates that we had from a two or three, probably a little bit longer ago even than that, um, to make sure that we're looking at what the numbers would be to upgrade this facility and once again come back to you at that point in time. So we will undertake that, which uh, again, we took our first steps on today. And then we move into the budget issues. Um, some of these are going to be very familiar to you along the lines of public services. This is a directive that you have provided to us uh, for many years and it's simply that we will maintain to the highest level that we can the services that we provide to the citizens of this community. And so once again you've confirmed that commitment um, within the means and within the budget of course uh, that we're able to provide um, that, that we continue on that path. Secondly, relative to flood response activities, they are a continued challenge to the community. They're a continued matter that we have to address. Um, last year, you increased uh, funding to the stormwater fund by, I believe that was uh, by $100,000. You also increased funding to the wastewater fund by half a million dollars. This year, you've committed to maintaining those levels. So $1.1 million for stormwater, $1 million for the wastewater fund, again, to be looked at for flood mitigation activities. And just for public purposes, to be clear, this is in addition to what we were just talking about, which are the Concept 5 and the ongoing um, response specific uh, to, the inter to the utilities and the infrastructure that will go into those matters as well. Landfill operations, we brought to you a number of concerns relative not only to the development and continued development of cell 17, but to the ongoing requirements, um, not financial or operational uh, situations that we have going on with the landfill and the need to up our rates. This is something you'll recall we, we mentioned to you that we've not changed our rates or looked at our rates since 1993. And we determined that it was necessary to do that. Council has agreed with that. Um, with a condition and, and that made perfect sense is number one we have an ongoing rate study that is being worked on at this point in time we will bring those results back to you when we do so we will look at what the contributions need to be next year and the years that follow so for the moment though uh, an additional quarter of a million dollars was allocated uh, by council towards the landfill budget and the operations of that uh, particular department and then we talked a little bit about a number of other uh, departments, the operations and challenges that we have, and utilizing the American Rescue Plan Act or the ARPA funds, which we currently have about 2.688, I'm more specific today than I was with you on Saturday, uh, that was in, in, included in our budgets this year. The exact same amount will be included in our budgets and provided to us from the federal government next year as well. There were four specific allocations made. Um, the first was relative to Barstow Airport for $350,000. Uh, you'll recall that we have issues relative to tree trimming, um, some easement acquisition that's necessary, and some airport seal cracking, some building maintenance, et cetera. And there was a total amount of $350,000 provided. 
Um, we had a lot of discussion, frankly, on the airport and, and what we need to spend versus what we'd like to spend, and we're certainly going to look to make whatever savings we can on the easement uh, side of things in particular, and we'll stretch that money as far as we can into things like hangar maintenance uh, and or hangar de demolition if necessary. And then three particular funds, all of which are enterprise funds within the city. One is the Civic Arena, secondly is the Riverside Place, and thirdly the Curry Golf Course. All three of those experienced significant revenue loss, whether it be by COVID or because of flood-related matters. And there was uh, decisions made that will move just, just short of a million dollars there. Um, individually, as you see the, the breakdown on the screen, into each of those funds um, to help offset the pressures that those particular challenges over the last year have presented. So 350,000 would go to the arena, 400,000 to Riverside Place, and 200,000 to Curry Golf Course. Um, relative to the millage rate, which is often of public interest, certainly, um, what is the millage rate that you as council um, are striving to maintain and ask us to maintain? We've, uh, for I think it's five consecutive years, held our millage rate the same without increase. And the direction, again, uh, was to do our best to make sure that that happens again, if at all possible. And so the direction today that we are taking forward is that we'll maintain the millage rate as it has been without increase uh, for the past five years. And then, I think this is my last slide, on fund balances and unfunded liabilities. Um, we had a, a lot of talk about the fund balances and how much should be in there and should not be. Um, we asked for permission to move uh, about a half a million dollars from our um, general fund unreserved budget stabilization reserve into the general fund unreserved fund, so a movement really uh, of money from one fund to another of half a million dollars, increasing that unreserved fund balance up a little bit to $6.5 million which we talked about is a lot of money. It's still from the size of our budget, um, not a huge reserve, but nonetheless, it's a movement in the right direction. And then the other one's more of a what happens if uh, type move. And this is if we can meet all of those objectives, if we cannot in doing so increase the millage rate and there's extra funds, then we would move some additional funding up to a half a million dollars towards the MERS unfunded liability issue. So this is kind of a if you can type directive as opposed to thou shalt, which we have kind of put forward directions like that in the past. So that one's a little bit less clear. We'll find out as we work through our budget process if we're able to achieve it. So. Um, so that's a summary of about, uh, what, about nine hours uh, of work that all of you put in over the course of uh, the day Saturday. Um, hopefully it, it capsules or encapsulates what we talked about and properly captures it and records it down so that uh, this is the basis upon which we'll continue to move forward. Some projects will continue immediately, others will be built into the budget process and we'll see how those uh, work out as we bring you forward budget numbers. So with that, Madam Mayor, if there's questions, I should actually, before I, I wrap up, say we also had a, a very good discussion from my perspective on a, other issues that may be of interest to Council. And we have, I think I've got about two-thirds of a page listed out of different matters that the five of you brought forward. I'll be or, or getting those into a report format at some point in the future as well. It's not here because it wasn't directly either a budget initiative or an immediate directive uh, to Council, but I will be also bringing those back to the five of you as well. So. There's questions. I'd uh, at this point be happy to answer any of them. Very thorough update. Thank you. I tried. Was <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a good meeting? It really was. And it, even though it was six o'clock, it really didn't feel that long. You know, I think the the converse, Well, maybe tomorrow he did because he was up. <laughs> he he came from working all night, so it was a tough for him. Um, but I think that 
you know, it was good participation, and we don't have opportunities to do that very often, to just talk with one another about priorities and concerns that we have, and so I thought that was good use of everyone's time. So thanks for that. So do we have to have a resolution, is there a resolution on this? This is a uh, receive and file yeah. resolution is yeah. recommended for this report so that it places it on the record. Okay. Will you please read that resolution? The City Council budget objectives for fiscal year 2022 to 2023. So move. Okay, any other discussion on this? All right, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. All right, that takes us down to new business. Anyone on council have any new business this evening? Mr. K, any new business for you? I have nothing new since Saturday, no. Okay, <laughs> okay, good. So our next meeting is the 24th of January. We look forward to seeing you then, and we are adjourned. Thank you for being here. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.